the light trees and news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by no one. It's Allison flying solo. Hello. I always forget that there could potentially be new listeners. I am your host, Allison Kilkenny. Sometimes I uh, schedule a co-host and we're like, okay, we're going to meet at 10 o'clock. Uh, and they're like, great, I'll, I'll see you then. And then I get a text this morning that's like, uh-oh, drank too much and I lost my phone. And I'm like, oh, no. And they're like, I got to go find my phone. And I'm like, okay. So, you know what happens, uh, especially here in New York City. You can lose things. Things can be stolen from you. And you got to prioritize that. So, I originally did have a co-host uh, scheduled but I will be uh, doing the show myself, which is fine, because now I'm, I'm an old salt at it. I'm used to it. And oh boy, do I have so much to talk about with you guys. Here's a request, however. This is really an episode I want to hear back from all of you, because especially for the pop culture section, which we're in right now, I'm going to be talking about a bunch of content. We're very content rich right now, so there's a lot going on. I want to hear back from you. I want to know what you're watching, listening to, reading right now, all of that good stuff. So I got to start with the obvious, the elephant in the room, or should I say the cable knit sweater in the room. Knives out. Oh, boy. Don't worry. No spoilers. Um, I basically just want to talk about Chris Evans in a sweater for the next mm, 18 minutes, if that's cool with everybody. Oh, boy, is this film a delight. And, you know, without, again, giving anything away, what I was really struck with while watching it was a cable knit sweater. No. Uh, It was, I was just like, oh, my God, the movies can be this. It can just be a fun, good time had by all, genre, balls to the wall, mystery, thriller. Uh, And it really, really harkens back to Agatha Christie. If you grew up on PBS like I did, what, what? What's up, people with older parents? Watching Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes, all that good shit. This will make you so nostalgic. It will make you so happy. Every single actor in this film is having the most fun possible maybe should be illegal. I don't know. Is this technically a drug? It might be. Uh, Daniel Craig, I can't even begin to sing enough praises. Apparently, Ryan Johnson said they went through several accents, question mark, before they landed on that one. So I really want to see a super cut of all of the different accents (laughs) that they had like a speed round through until they settled on a Southern Gentleman. Because I'd just be curious to know what the other options were. Was there a French accent? I bet there was. I want to see that. Give me the bonus content, Ryan, is what I'm saying. And you know what's bananas? Tony Collette is in this, too, and is having the time of her life. Ugh, the cast is phenomenal. There's not a weak link in the group. Um, everybody's just the best, and it's so much fun. And I know I've seen a little bit of criticism about, uh, especially from uh, Latinx reviewers who uh, saw it and thought some of the material about uh, immigration was 
potentially triggering. And, you know, obviously I can't speak to that being a privileged white lady. I think all those feelings are valid. Uh, I, I would never discount any of those feelings. However, I would say that I do think if we're ever laughing during this movie, we're laughing at the expense of so-called woke liberals. I think that's the, the butt of the joke and not obviously very real fears of deportation and, and the climate of xenophobia in this country. I don't think that's ever the butt of the joke. So I'll say that. But yeah, um, almost everybody has said that this is great movie, great time. And it is. Everything you've heard is true. So go see it. Or did you see it? Hashtag light treason pod on Twitter. What are your thoughts, feelings? If you just want to send me screen grabs of Chris Evans in a cable knit sweater, that's fine as well. Because here's what they don't tell you. Going in, you hear, oh, my God, Chris Evans in a sweater. Okay. Uh, the first time I, I heard tale of this was a reviewer who said, uh, no spoilers, I just saw an early screening of Knives Out and the woman next to me gasped, <gasps> sweater, at one point. And that was like the first rumbling we all heard of, you know, Chris Evans isn't a sweater in this movie. I just want you to be braced going in. Here's what they don't tell you, though. He has costume changes. It's not one sweater. He appears in several different sweaters, and I wasn't ready, and I was by myself and gasped a few times, but luckily it was a safe space because I think there were other people around me who were also like, I know Captain America's in a sweater, and we all kind of connected on that level. Um, you know, Michael Shannon, who's usually the star of several of my sexual nightmares, is also in this and very brings that energy in especially one scene where it's very like oh you are very creepy right now and hot but also very creepy right now but hot I applaud you sir because that's not an easy line to straddle you know um so if you want to send me screen grabs if you have any thoughts about the movie hashtag light trees and pod also and I know it, this might be Bordering on redundant at this point, but Watchmen, my God, continues to be the best. One of my friends wrote me when I was tweeting about how great it is and was like, I heard it was bad. And this friend lives in L.A. now, and I almost bought a ticket to go fly out there so I could slap him. That might seem like an overreaction, but I was like, who told you it was bad? And he was like, I don't know. Early on, people said it was bad. And I was like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Because these people are wrong. This is one of the best shows of the last decade. I think I could say that confidently. I know I sounded unsure just then, but I was speaking like faster than I could think. And I was like, is this true? It is. It is true. So if you... Have not caught up on Watchmen. And listen, I know a lot of people are like, but Allison, I don't have an HBO account. You got friends? One of them has an HBO password? Share those HBO passwords. What are you doing? Share the wealth. I don't have an HBO account. Are you kidding? I podcast. I share one of my friends' HBO passwords. Come on. We're like going on it together and like everybody kicking like five or ten dollars, whatever. Share that account. Come on. All right. Sorry. I don't know why I'm mad at you guys. We're eight minutes in. I got to pace myself. So because I am a Stubbs List member, no big deal, I am a celebrity, 
I get to see like two AMC movies a week. It's something bananas like that. You can see like more movies than you could possibly ever actually want to see for like $16 a month. None of what I just said is accurate, but it's something like very, very reasonable like that. So because I can see way more movies at, at low, low prices, I saw a movie that I ordinarily would never have paid money to see, Ford versus Ferrari, because I was sort of like, you know what, Oscar season's about to kick off. I should actually be informed this year as opposed to just, you know, crafting opinions based on nothing. <laughs> like I do every Oscar season where I have my clear favorite and I'm like, uh, everything else is bad, even though that might not be true. So I was like, Ford versus Ferrari is obviously going to be in the mix for the Oscars this year because it's one of those made for the Academy movies. So I should go see it just to like actually know what's up before I start railing against it on Twitter, <laughs> which is inevitable, right? Uh, and it's great. I mean, I don't know what I can say beyond this is a film made for the Academy, very clearly made for the Academy, uh, and is successful in that Christian Bale, great performance, absolutely will get nominated for Best Supporting Actor uh, during the Oscars, deserves it, is great, as always. Um, obviously not a comment on him as a person, because he's a pretty terrible person, but as a performer, great. Uh, the the visuals, spectacular. Um What's interesting, though, about this movie is uh, they obviously, they changed the name of this movie for American audiences. In the UK, it's named after the, the, the race that is the apex of the movie. But nobody knows about that race in America, so they named it Ford versus Ferrari. So that makes you think Ford is the good guy in it. And... I think it's pretty clear in the movie that Ford is is the villain, which is interesting. Uh, it's really a, a movie about artistry being crushed by corporations and how there are two artists in this movie, uh, Ferrari and Christian Bale's character, who's the, the real racer um, slash artist uh, who existed and, and raced these cars. And the the message of the movie is that it is impossible for the art these artists to exist in a corporate environment like Ford, that ultimately the corporation kills artistry. And without giving anything away, there is this moment at the end of the movie where Christian Bale's character, who by then is pretty clearly the hero of the film, nods at Ferrari and Ferrari nods back and there's this recognition between artists. But anyway, I thought that was really interesting because at least in my viewing of the movie, it was like middle-aged white people because who else would see Ford versus Ferrari? And I thought it was interesting that the makers of this film would challenge them like that to be like, hey, you probably thought Henry Ford was going to be the hero of this uh, movie. Spoiler, Henry Ford's a monster. <laughs> or I should say Henry Ford Jr., sorry, his son is a monster and actually I'm going to ask you to root for um a Brit and an, an Italian in this film that you thought was about American ingenuity so that was interesting so it was actually uh, more interesting than I thought it was going to be is what I'm trying to say also guys 
Uh, I started reading the Golden Compass books because I thought um, my mid-30s was a good time to start reading books I should have read when I was 13. <laughs> but I really wanted to get caught up on the HBO series because I heard, had heard it was really good. Um, so I'll say this. I'm enjoying the books, flying through them, no big deal. I read at at least above a, a seventh grade level, so that's good. Um, I Here's how I feel about the casting of the Golden Compass HBO series. I think it's pretty damn good. I think, uh, let me, so I don't sound like your mom talking about uh, a movie or a TV series that she's watching. And I'm not like, the girl with the short hair in the face? You know who I'm talking about. Okay. No, this is the movie. Well, that's interesting because I was going to compare the movie versus uh, the television series because in my head... His Dark Materials. In my head, I when I was picturing uh, Mrs. Coulter, I did picture more of like a Nicole Kidman vibe, even though she's described as being a brunette in the books. But like that sort of ethereal iciness, I think Nicole Kidman really, really captures brilliantly. Um but having said that, like I was picturing someone uh, who is brunette. So in that case, Ruth Wilson in his Dark Materials lends a, while more accessible presentation, like she's more of an every woman. She doesn't have that ethereal beauty of Nicole Kidman, even though Ruth Wilson is gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. She just looks like a lady that you might see on the train. You know, versus if you saw Nicole Kidman on the train, you would be like, I'm sorry, what the fuck's happening? Who is that angel who walks among us? Ruth Wilson looks a little more normal, but there is a buried evilness to her that when she turns it up in his dark materials, I find her to be terrifying. And I think it's really, really good for Mrs. Coulter, who is supposed to be scary. Now, Daphne Kane as Lyra is inspired so good so brilliant if you saw Logan Daphne Keene is a brilliant young actress and she's crushing it as Lyra um I will say here's the thing um I really like James McAvoy <laughs> I just have to preface it by saying I think he's a really talented actor um I think he's a little miscast in his dark materials um just because i don't know if he has <sighs> the sort of commanding masculine energy that lord asriel has at least for me in the books that's again where i think maybe uh the the golden compass the movie had it a little uh better with uh Daniel Craig because he does have that energy where he it's like it should be borderline frightening i think whenever when i was reading the books um lord azrael and Miss, mrs coulter had borderline terrifying energy <laughs> i found them to be very scary so i think that's the direction they should have gone with casting I will say this about his dark materials where I think they got it completely wrong. Uh, and it pains me to say, cause he's a lovely man. 
Oh, Lin Manuel. Oh man. Uh, I'm just like, really? You uh, you had access to how many people, and you went with Lin Manuel? I I just think he is terrible as Lee. Uh, I don't know. When I was reading, I was picturing more of a again like kind of a roguish energy. I, w- I was talking with a friend of mine and we were talking about who potentially could have been cast as Lee Scoresby, uh, who would have been way better than Lin-Manuel. And I was like, even like a an Adam Driver type energy, somebody who's a little more, you could picture him getting into a fist fight. Lin-Manuel feels like I'm watching a little boy doing community theater. I'm sorry. I know that's mean to say, but I think he was just horribly miscast. Um, I will say all of the CGI, I think, is really good in his dark materials. I think all of the demons, the the bears look great. Uh, I'm really impressed. I really like it. Are you guys watching it? Hashtag Light Trees and Pod. What do you think? Am I way off on all of the casting stuff? Let me know. Um also, I guess we got to talk about this. All right, everybody, shut up. I watched The Irishman. Oh, it's so long. And to every film podcast out there that was like, um, actually, it's not too long. You're fucking wrong. It's too long. And I hate this shit about anytime someone points it out that it is too long, they're accused of having a short attention span. And it's like, no, motherfucker. Part of the artistry of making a film is knowing when to edit the fuck out certain footage do i need to see all this driving absolutely not where is your editor edit this shit (laughs) it's too fucking long should not almost be four hours are you kidding me that's insulting for me because you wasted my time i don't understand the emotional connection anyone has with this film sorry i don't i feel nothing for these men um all of the men in this film are bad people I feel nothing for Robert De Niro's character at the end of this, uh, that he's alone in his retirement home and his daughters won't talk to him. Good. They shouldn't fucking talk to him. He was an abusive monster. Next. (laughs) I don't feel anything for Hoffa. I don't feel anything for anyone. Anybody who saw this as like a beautiful film about solidarity, really? Where? I saw none of that. All I saw was a a film about a bunch of men who were power hungry and and bad men. And I felt nothing for them. And I think I've just had quite enough of Martin Scorsese. Thank you. Moving on. I don't... You know what it is? Like, anybody who connected with this and thought it was a good film, I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you got something out of um, giving almost four hours of your life to watching this thing. I'm glad. Uh, that you got something out of it. Martin Scorsese's films are not for me. And I I realized that they're not supposed to be because uh, if they were, I guess women would be allowed to speak in his movies and they're clearly not meant to speak. Why did you cast Anna Paquin in this movie to deliver one line? That I found borderline insulting. I don't know why her agent or manager allowed her to do that. I would have been like, you know you don't get to speak in this movie, right? And that's actually, in fact, going to become a joke online and people will make memes about it and laugh about the fact that you don't get to talk in this movie. It's incredibly sexist. Um, And I think people just are willing to subject themselves to that treatment because it's a Martin Scorsese film. And that I find bizarre, especially in 2019. 
the f- his films have never felt more out of touch, dated. Just like every part of this movie just screamed relic to me. When they tried to de-age Robert De Niro, but what they can't de-age is how an actor physically moves. So he looks like he's 40 or 50. He's moving like he's an 80-year-old man. It just was sad. It made me sad and sleepy watching it. And it was like the opposite of feeling inspired. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is what the opposite of inspired feels like watching a Martin Scorsese film in 2019. And I don't know if some people are just reviewing it reflexively, calling it a masterpiece. Man, I, it just was not for me. I I didn't connect with it on any level. Hashtag light trees and pod. <laughs> I realize that's the one that I'm going to be in like the vast minority on, but, uh, or maybe not for this show, but like in the film community, that is considered a hot take. But yeah, Lord, not for me. Guys, on that note, on the note of the Irishman, here is your bad news. Ooh, we got to talk about Joey B. Joseph Biden. There have been a series of bizarre moments recently involving Joe Biden that I think, you know, much like a Martin Scorsese film in 2019, almost 2020, just reveal how old and outdated and of a different generation he is. Specifically the slogan on his bus, no malarkey. Which, again, I have to imagine he surrounds himself with people who are younger than 60. So somebody, I hope, was like, hey, Joe, um, maybe don't say no malarkey because no one has heard anyone say that outside of, like, a cartoon character from, like, a Popeye episode. So it's not, like in the common vernacular right now. I like I, I would like to think that someone at some point was like, don't do that. But then again, Joe Biden doesn't strike me as the type of guy who listens to people when they say, don't do that. So that's how we get no malarkey on the side of a bus. Um, then we have the moment <laughs> where um, he sucked on Jill Biden's fingers. And I know a lot of people are like, why is this a big deal? It's his wife. It was a silly little moment. I'm just going to venture to say it's weird and showing that he is a very weird guy, very prone to making these kinds of faux pas, which in the moment might not seem like a big deal, but in the long run, reveal him to be a fucking weirdo. And like, let's be real. This is not the extent of his weirdness with women, even though this happened to be his wife. He has this proclivity of touching women inappropriately in public and this happens to not be as big of a deal because it's his wife although I would still argue when your wife is speaking to a group of people um maybe don't suck on her fingers I don't know maybe I'm old-fashioned um I just it feels inappropriate right so (laughs) but but I won't linger on that too much because I could you know of of all the things Joe Biden has done and been accused of that is by no means the most <laughs> grave if that was all he had done I would have been like guys come on shut up uh 
but he hosted a town hall that recently that was interrupted by a heckler um, who challenged his son's dealings in Ukraine. So this person uh, is unidentified, uh, is a non-Republican farmer, um, accused Joe Biden of various things, including selling access like Trump through his son and being too old to run for president. So this was a very weird exchange because in response, Biden called the man a damn liar and challenged him to tests of endurance, strength, and IQ. <clears throat> so, like a push-up contest, essentially. Um, I can't say enough mean things about Joe Biden. I think he is a great example of a candidate who maybe like five or six years ago probably would have done pretty well but now is just like an embarrassing relic first of all the machismo response of let's do push-ups dude is like so eye-rollingly bad <laughs> I, I don't know even how to comment on it but also I don't think it's an, an unfair point to bring up the Hunter Biden stuff because it's not that different than the stuff we accuse the Trumps of, which is the nepotism, the selling access. I don't think it's out of the realm of acceptability for someone to be like, so how is this different? Why is your train wreck son allowed to do this stuff, but it's not okay for Don Jr. and the other idiot to do it as well. I think that's like an acceptable question, a reasonable question. And Joe Biden fucking sucks. And that's really all I have to say about Joe Biden. I, uh, guys, have you accepted the fact that we're going to have to vote for him? <laughs> guys, guys, are you listening right now? Did you turn off the episode? That's fair. Um, have you come to terms with that? I don't know if you have. All right, we got to talk about toilets. Sorry, it's got to happen. So Trump recently was railing against some of his oldest enemies, including energy-efficient light bulbs, because anything that can be perceived as like a product of liberalism of the left is bad, right? So, of course, that means one of the things on his docket is to deregulate water standards, specifically like toilet, sinks, like bad water pressure, right? We have stuff called low flow toilets now. You've probably seen those toilets with like two separate buttons. One's for just like, hey, push this one if you're peeing because we'll use less water than if you pooped, in which case we'll use more water. And like some people have complained about low pressure toilets um, not being as powerful as when you flush them. So you have to flush them multiple times. So Trump is talking about this, and at one point he says, people are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. They end up using more water. So the EPA is looking at that very strongly, at my suggestion. Um, yeah. Um, it sounds like an exaggeration, right? 10, 15 times, it probably is. But I think the main takeaway from this story is this anything to own the libs mentality 
the fact that Republicans are willing to die on the hill of energy efficient light bulbs and low flow toilets just shows how this isn't a, a war of facts anymore. It's like anything to own the libs, including I want my light bulbs to waste energy. I want to waste all the water because it'll make the liberals real mad. And this all goes back to the Democrats being afraid to go too far to the left. It doesn't matter if they stay moderate. It doesn't matter if they go to the right. The Republicans will still accuse them of being too far to the left, of being of going too far when it comes to stuff like energy efficient light bulbs. There's no point in trying to cater to them and trying to woo them. They're not they won't be wooed. They hate you. You might as well just go for the agenda you want to go for. Um of course, I'm not talking about people like Pete Buttigieg, who I don't believe is a Democrat. <laughs> I truly don't. I don't believe you can be a Democrat in 2019 and not have a clear uh, policy about abortion. I'm talking about candidates like Warren or Sanders or, you know, anybody who's actually on the left. There's no point in trying to woo moderates because this is the shit that's going to happen. They're going to accuse you of being too far to the left anyway. Right? Right. So I also wanted to talk about Kamala Harris dropping out because I wanted to be like a little more nuanced on this show because we had, I've only previously talked about Kamala Harris uh, in respect to her record as a prosecutor and how that was very bad. And she's responsible for sending a lot of people to prison, uh, nonviolent drug offenders, which is a, a very, very bad thing. And contributing to the prison industrial uh, complex, a very bad thing. And all the Kamala is a cop stuff that was circulating during the campaign. But now that she's dropped out, I wanted to be a little more nuanced about it because unfortunately now the only candidates left are all white people. Um, other than obviously uh, Andrew Yang, uh, Julio Castro, who I really, really hope stays in the race at this point because damn, he's making some good points. And I really, really like seeing him in the debates. And he pushes the candidates on a lot of really, really important issues. So I, I don't want to say that they're all white, but at least the front runners right now, right? So Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, Cory Booker's still in it, but there's a big fall off after like Biden and Warren, Sanders and Buttigieg, and they're all white, so that's not a good look for the Democrats in 2019-2020. How are you going to have all white candidates? Like, it's it's borderline disastrous. It's really, really bad. And Kamala Harris was the only, um, next to uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, which we won't even get into all of that, but Kamala Harris was, like, the only woman of color who at, one point seemed like she could be a, a, a serious contender for the Democratic nomination, she's dropped out. So a lot of people rightfully have pointed out that why has Kamala Harris come under all of this scrutiny? But somebody like Pete Buttigieg has steadily risen in the polls when, I mean, if we're going to compare Democratic records, Democratic voting records and experience uh, records, 
Pete Buttigieg should be under way more scrutiny. Not to say that Kamala Harris shouldn't be under scrutiny, but it's it's very telling that Kamala Harris has had to drop out this early. But somebody like Pete Buttigieg continues to thrive. And also the fact that Michael Bloomberg has sailed in as a self-funded billionaire and basically out uh, out fundraised um, Kamala Harris in like the blink of an eye is an indictment of the whole political system and election system and really, really sad. And I can say that without being a fan of Kamala Harris, which I'm not, and I never want to see a prosecutor as president. Um, She, if a Democrat wins, will probably be a serious uh, nominee for attorney general, which will be a whole separate thing. You know, whether uh, with whether we should have a prosecutor, even a former prosecutor as an attorney general, I think we should stop having prosecutors at any level of the government. I think that's always a bad idea to have anybody who's super carceral in a position of power like that. But I do think there's room to have that conversation about the only black woman has had to drop out of the Democratic nominee race that she was out fundraised so quickly by this self-funded billionaire that Pete Buttigieg is getting a free pass. And we have to ask ourselves why that's happening. It's pretty clear that it's because he has the privilege of being a white man. Even though he's gay, he's a white man from Iowa, so he's treated more seriously than Kamala Harris and allowed to be inexperienced and allowed to have this crappy record as a a so-called Democrat, a so-called Democrat that seems to have no opinion about abortion (laughs) Uh, and, and other very, very questionable opinions about immigrants and Medicare and has said very worrying things like that. If any other candidate had said this shit as a Democrat, we would have been like, I'm sorry, what? But we're letting him sort of skate by. Why are we allowing Pete Buttigieg to get by and get away with that shit without really heavily criticizing him as much as Kamala Harris was criticized for being a former prosecutor? You know, I I absolutely think Kamala Harris should have been held up to that standard, but so should Pete Buttigieg. And it's very, very telling that he has not been held to that same standard because of racism. All right. So, also, we should talk about this shooting, right? I like that I occasionally behave like you guys can have any input to this show. But you can have input. Hashtag light trees and pot. <laughs> so, because we live in America, there's been another mass shooting. Um, a gunman opened fire inside a classroom at the U.S. Naval Air Station, uh, Pensacola, on Friday morning, killing three people and injuring seven others. And turns out was a member of the Saudi Air Force who was at the Florida base for training. The, so the suspect, at least of this recording, at the time of this recording, has not been publicly identified by authorities. But like a lot of people were making jokes on Twitter that since uh, they were a member of the Saudi Air Force, we would be attacking Iraq in any second now. Because that's what we do, right? We never actually acknowledge that. Um, the attackers, at least in quite a few prominent uh, terrorist attacks here in the United States, have 
been of Saudi Arabian nationality because we don't like to acknowledge that because they have oil. <laughs> you know, recently Trump was talking about where U.S. troops are, are stationed across the Middle East and he was naming all of these Middle Eastern countries and he's like, because that's where the oil is and I like to guard the oil. Like, he, he, here's the thing about Trump. He always says the quiet part loud. <laughs> like, it's not necessarily that he's the first president to oversee these kinds of uh, international policies, but he's the one who will be like, because of the oil, when everybody else just sort of um, would wink at that part, he says it out loud. So yeah, the whole reason we ignore the fact when something like this happens um, is because it involves Saudi Arabia and we don't want to involve Saudi Arabia because we need their oil. And, um, you know, the Jamal Khashoggi incident with, with Trump looking the other way on that, a journalist being murdered by uh, the Saudi royals. We go out of our way to ignore when this stuff happens because it's not convenient. <laughs> And it's sort of like, well, if a bunch of people have to die in a shooting at a U.S. Naval Air Station for us to continue to get our access to oil, then so be it. And that's just like a political calculation our government makes. And it's obviously not going to change under Trump's regime because he's made it very clear that he's more than willing to look the other way when something like this happens. In addition to all of his other, you know, conflicts of interest with business and stuff like that, he he does a lot of business in these in the countries that are controlled by authoritarian regimes. So it behooves him and his family to look the other way when like the Saudi Arabian family does something nuts or like the Russians do something screwy to be like Oh, never mind. I, I really want to build a casino there. So, or I, I built my hotel there and I need some tax breaks. So, I'm going to ignore when they cut off the head of a journalist. You know, it's business, baby. Um, Guys, that's enough of the bad. I was going to do one more, but I'm like, listen, you just said cut off the head of a journalist. And these are nice people listening to, to your show right now. And I don't want to bum you out my little babies. So let's end things on a good note. Here is your good news. Oh, man. By the way, sorry if my voice has sounded weird throughout this episode. Pretty sure I have a sinus infection, but just been powering through that from you, my little babies. Oh, also, I guess I should mention holiday scheduling. Definitely, obviously, we had an episode this week. We will have an episode uh, the next week and... What am I trying to say? What am I going to actually take off? We will have an episode next week, question mark about the week after. And then I think I'm going to come back after the new year just to take a, a holiday break because mama needs to take a holiday break. So I'll keep you up to speed about that. But just FYI, if at the end of the month you're like, why isn't, why are there no new episodes? Why isn't it refreshing? That's why. Um, I'm okay. You're okay. I'll be back in the new year with so much to talk about. But uh, yeah, it's time for a, a holiday break. So in the good news section, 
Nancy Pelosi recently announced that the House will proceed with articles of impeachment. Obviously, good news there. She held a, a pretty tense press conference. I mean, it wasn't tense until she uh, was about to leave and um, a journalist asked, do you hate the president? She got very upset and she was like, um, I don't hate anyone. Don't use that word. It offends me as a Catholic. And here's the thing about that. I think it's okay to say you hate a racist rapist, right? I think if there's ever a time to hate anyone, it's rapists who are also racist. And that is the president, right? So I think if anybody is ever like, you hate the president, you can be like, yes, I do. And actually, it makes you a good person for willing to stand up and say, yeah, hate is a powerful thing. I hate very few things in this life. But here are two things I definitely hate. I hate racism and I hate rape. And the president happens to be a racist rapist. So I hate him twice as much as I hate anything else. I think that's fine. Uh, Optics-wise, I understand why Nancy Pelosi couldn't say that. But I think, you know, it's okay to say you hate things. And I I do think there's this um, embedded guilt that a lot of women experience when when people accuse you of hating something. Your impulse is to be like, no, I I don't hate anything because women are taught two things. Um, It's not okay to be aggressive and it's not okay to be opinionated. And when you say you hate or you accuse someone of hate something, hating something, what you're basically saying is you're being loud and opinionated. And so the impulse is to be like, no, I'm not. No, I'm a delicate little flower. I'd make a good wife. Uh, and I, I'm here to say if somebody is like, hey, are you saying you hate this racist rapist? It's okay to be like, yep, yes, sir, I, I did say that. I hate that man. It's okay. I give you permission (laughs) before the holidays, before you go home and you're sitting at the the holiday dinner table with your family and they're like, hey, are you being loud and opinionated right now? Auntie Allison gives you permission to be like, yep, I am, sir. So, yeah, you do hate the rapist, (laughs) racist rapist. I challenge you to say racist rapist as many times as I had and not stumble over it. It is a tongue twister. But, yeah, um, it's okay to hate Trump. He's a bad man. And it's okay to hate rape and it's okay to hate racism. So, also in good news, I got to put this story in here of all the world leaders giggling about Trump. I thought it was very funny. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It was the NATO Global Summit, uh, a bunch of leaders, including French Prime Minister Emmanuel Macron. um, Or no, sorry, that was, (laughs) I'm getting my uh, faux pas mixed up. Who was standing in this like little circle? I'm going to call it the bitch circle of world leaders. Oh, no, Macron was there. Okay, (laughs) so uh, it was like a mixer. I don't know. They're holding cocktail glasses. A bunch of the world leaders got together. Uh, Macron, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Boris Johnson, who's supposed to be Trump's buddy, were all standing in a circle giggling about how Trump would do these long press conferences um, before they would actually get to the main event. 
And I don't know if they didn't realize that the audio was recording. Somebody was videotaping this. And at one point, Trudeau looks up and he looks like he knows that somebody's filming. But maybe they didn't think audio was being recorded. But they're all just giggling about how much Trump sucks. <laughs> and uh, Princess Anne was there. Poor Princess Anne. She got dragged into everything. Leave her alone. Um but it was just illustrative of how nobody takes Trump seriously. Uh, the world is laughing at us, which you probably think would go in the bad news section. But then what's so funny about this to me is, A, uh, we truly never leave high school. <laughs> People always act like this. But then also, B, this leaks to the press. Trump gets mad. He leaves the NATO Global Summit early because adults are laughing at him <laughs> and his feelings were hurt. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. The right is always accusing the left of being snowflakes. And our grown ass president found out his, his colleagues were laughing about him and he huffed and he puffed and he left the global summit early because his fifis were hurt. <laughs> like a big baby. Um, he accused Trudeau of being two-faced, quote-unquote, and he ran off like a big baby. But liberals are the snowflakes, is what I want you all to remember. Very, very funny. Uh, I also wanted to talk about, <coughs> there was this very dramatic moment in London um, where... A, uh, a known terrorist went on a frenzied knife attack on uh, a bridge, and it was very, very scary, and video of it appeared on Twitter almost instantly. Um, more details emerged on Saturday when the Islamic State claimed that the attacker was one of their own. Um, but the reason I put it in the good news section is it was really interesting to see the details emerge about um, the civilians who stepped in to stop this attacker. Um, they attacked him with a fire extinguisher. Another pulled out a narwhal tusk <laughs> and gave chase. So it was like a really chaotic scene. And watching Twitter try to like catch up to it in real time where they were like somebody has a fire extinguisher somebody else has a normal tusk like it was truly fucking bizarre but then uh it was really interesting because details of these brave people who stepped in to stop this attacker came out and surprise surprise they turn out to be immigrants and or convicted felons <laughs> so one was a polish chef named uh lucas who he was actually hurt during the attack he suffered lacerations uh stabbed a few times but he kept going he kept trying to stop this guy some of the others who turned on the killer reportedly were ex-cons attending the event they sprayed him in the face with a fire extinguisher a man named James Ford grabbed one of the terrorist knives and carried it to safety. Um, and it was just so interesting because 
in all of the hysteria around terrorism, we're taught to fear criminals and immigrants. And those were actually the two parties who helped stop the terrorist attack, which I don't know if you could take away something positive in all of that. I was like, it's so interesting to me that will we have that conversation? Because usually fear of terrorism leads to xenophobia and and calls to close the border. And it's like, well, and and like being really carceral, right? Like locking up people and throwing away, away the key. And it's like, had you actually done that, you wouldn't have stopped this guy because the people who stopped you or stopped him were immigrants and, and cons. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Um, guys, let's talk about R. Kelly. Um, R. Kelly was charged with taking bribes for a fake ID to marry Aaliyah when she was 15. Guys, remember that? Remember that song, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number? That's what it was about. It was about statutory rape. So, according to the New York Times, the 52-year-old singer has been charged for bribing an Illinois government employee in 1994 so that he could obtain a fake ID in order to marry Aaliyah. Um, who was 15 years old at the time. Brooklyn federal prosecutors allege Kelly used the fake ID so that Aaliyah's listed age was 18 and the two could obtain a marriage license. The marriage was later annulled. Surprise, surprise. Um, and then, of course, Aaliyah tragically died in a plane crash in 2001. Um, so, obviously... I'm putting this in the good news section because even though it took so very long, it's good that R. Kelly has started to have to face some consequences for his decades of predatory behavior. Um, the uh, This new indictment is an expansion on the existing racketeering charges. Kelly is facing in New York, in New York alleging he sexually exploited and coerced underage girls. In case you never read the original profile of what he's being accused of, he is essentially being accused of running uh, a sex cult. And it truly is a cult, if you read the details of it. And that he has largely been able to get away with this because of his celebrity, no doubt. But also the fact that his victims are young black women. And that, therefore, the world cares less when they disappear into a sex cult. And, like, their families certainly care. And their families and communities have been trying to get them out. But that, like, the press took a while to catch up because uh, he was choosing victims that the world traditionally doesn't care about when they are exploited and hurt. So... Uh, Kelly's lawyer, Stephen Greenberg, maintains his client had no idea of Aaliyah's age when the two got married. I don't believe you, Stephen. <sighs> I don't believe you at all because R. Kelly not only preyed on young girls, he got off on the fact that they were underage. Hence the fact that he wrote a whole damn fucking song about it. Here's a little tip. If you're going to commit a crime, if you're going to go out criming everyone, don't then write a song about how much you love doing the criming. 
because they can play that in court. They can literally play that in front of a judge at any time. And the judge can be like, hold on. Can you pause that very quickly? Can you hit pause? Thank you. You just said, I like doing the crime in that song. What are you going to say to that, R. Kelly? Like, it was a metaphor. Of what? Age ain't nothing but a number. Yeah, it's a number that we have to adhere to in the law or you go to jail. (laughs) You cannot marry a 15-year-old, R. Kelly. The worst. Uh, So obviously I'm putting that in the good news section because anytime a gross rapist suffers any consequences, it's good news for everybody, right? Guys, am I emotionally prepared enough to see Marriage Story? That's my question because it is on Netflix right now. And I was thinking about watching it, but I don't know if like spiritually, mentally, physically, I'm strong enough to watch it right now. And I've heard that it's well paced and it breaks up the drama with um, moments of levity. It's very watchable. It's not like a slog to get through. But am I emotionally prepared? Hashtag light trees and pod. Please let me know. I feel the way about marriage story that I feel about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which is, am I going to die watching this? I feel like I might, question mark, because in watching the trailers, I cry. And that's only... 20 or 30 seconds and I cry so if it is in fact over two hours as I believe it is will I die so if you've seen either of those marriage story or Mr. Rogers Neighborhood hashtag light trees and pod will Allison die let me know Uh, I probably will see both of them eventually anyway because um, Stubbs List, I am a celebrity, so I could see as many movies as I want. Guys, as always, if there's any stories that you have questions, concerns, comments about, hashtag Light Trees and Pod. There are other ways to communicate with the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, email, lighttreesandnews at gmail.com, although I will be totally honest with you, I don't check that email as much as I should, So the fastest, quickest, most efficient way to get in touch with me is Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Truly email is last on the list, to phrase that another way. Um, And yeah, we love getting recommendations from you guys. If you are a supporter of mine on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny at the $5 a month level or higher, you can send questions or comments or recommendations to me over there and I'll prioritize you. That's how that works. It's like a VIP thing. Uh, You just can skip the line basically. So we always love getting recommendations from you guys. You can also send them on Twitter and stuff. But again, I prioritize my Patreon supporters because it's only fair. You guys have been supporting me ever so many years, and I want to give back to you. So that's just something I do for those kids, all right? Uh, Thanks so much for listening. I truly can't explain clearly enough to you guys how fully insane I feel hosting the show on my own. But you guys say you like it. I feel insane ranting for an hour. I find it mildly disturbing that I can do it so easily. That concerns me a little bit. Not gonna lie. But uh, I'm glad you've been enjoying it so much and enjoying the episodes and all of that stuff. But 
Truly my favorite thing ever is when you guys quote sections of the show back to us because we black out when we record these episodes and we don't remember anything that's said during the episode. So when you guys tweet us your favorite parts or quotes, it's so much fun because we're like, huh, we did say that. That was a fun part. And it also helps us because it, it, it helps us determine what you guys like about the show um, and what we should be doing more of. So certainly thus far we've determined that you really like the pop culture section and I get it because shit is really dark right now. And sometimes it's just fun to talk about dumb shit we're watching. Oh my God. You know what I didn't mention <laughs> in the pop culture section? Uh, I am in the thick of 90 Day Fiance and woo, it's a journey. Maybe I'll talk about it more uh, next week because I'm in like the middle of season two Ooh, what a journey. But I was very, very late to that show. And now it's like the dumb, the dumbest show I watch right now, just when I really, really need to unwind. And it's helped my mental health a lot. So I highly recommend it. Guys, thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>